My conversion shed new light on my search for joy. The overwhelming longings that emerge from fantasies and my brother's toy garden were merely signposts to what I really desired. They were not the thing itself. I concluded that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world could satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Logically Faithful. I am Caldoun Swice, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the City Colleges of Chicago. And with Logically Faithful, we engage our minds so that we can productively touch culture and deal with suffering in an engaging and redemptive way. My special guest today is a good friend and brilliant actor, cultural mover and shaker, and somebody who's actually making more of a difference than most people on this world especially for the God that he worships. Um, Max McQueen is an award-winning actor and founder of the, and director of the New York-based Fellowship for the Performing Arts. Max has adapted many works of C.S. Lewis, my favorite author, uh, stage, the Screwtape Letters, which I strongly recommend and is brilliantly done, as much as most of his work is. Uh, the Most Reluctant Convert, which I'll be speaking with him today on. Max has been nominated for multiplicity of different awards, and as well as the, uh, the Bible, which he memorized and did uh, on stage multiple times in different uh, aspects of that. Max, it is an honor to have you, brother. I'll do. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Sam, Max, let me ask you something. Um, as you get, you've been doing this for how many years now? Uh, well, I started acting... In my 20s, I'm now in my 60s, so I've been acting for 40 years. Uh, Fellowship for Performing Arts was founded about 25, 26, 27 years ago, uh, an attempt because I'm an adult convert to Christ, came to Christ in my 20s. Right. And uh, I wanted to find a way to integrate my faith with my work. And so... Uh, as an actor, uh, I thought, uh, how could I do that? And uh, uh, it was to select material that has the ability to speak to, uh, from, a, from a, uh, a very clear Christian worldview that had the ability to speak to a larger uh, intellectually diverse, intellectually and religiously diverse audience. I see you've done that on stage. Mm -hmm. uh, 40 years while well, you're 60, you're looking great, brother. So keep up the good Thank work. You. Yeah. Well, uh, good. Now, Appreciate that. <laughs> now, with this particular uh, play that we, I want to discuss with you, because I've yes. done multiple ones, The Most Reluctant Convert in All of England. So we're dealing with C.S. Lewis, uh, the yes. British writer, lay theologian, um, most commonly known for the Chronicles of Narnia series. Yeah. Uh, why did you choose Lewis? Well, uh, after reading, when I, when I was converted in my early 20s, uh, after reading um, the New Testament, uh, someone gave me a, a copy of his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. They thought I was a smart guy and, 
and they knew he was a smart guy. And, uh-huh. and so they thought that I would really resonate with his conversion story, which is surprised by joy. Um, interestingly enough, I read the book from cover to cover, but I don't think I understood a word of it. Uh, <laughs> <You're pretty. laughs> yeah, it was way over my head. But then, so I, I told them that and uh, they said, well, try this one. And it was the screw tape letters. Mm. And from page one, I said, oh, I know this guy. And uh, so Lewis uh, captured my imagination. Uh, he helped me to think deeply about things in a way that I probably would think shallowly. Uh, Lewis is first and foremost a truth teller. Mm. Um, and, uh, and he examines things from that perspective. Uh, he complains that the problem people have with Christianity is due to foolish preachers who try to uh, offer Christianity because it is, uh, it is comforting or it is good for society. And he says that it needs to be offered on the basis of whether or not it is true. As in the clip you showed earlier, if Jesus' statements are false, Christianity is of no importance. If true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Mm-hmm. This is You came from a background in, in Christendom? Um, I was raised uh, uh, Catholic in the sense that I uh, went to catechism, was confirmed in the uh, Catholic tradition, and then... Um, uh, after my confirmation, I was not obligated to do anything, at least not from my parents' perspective. And so I was free to uh, practice my faith any way I wanted. And I practice it by not practicing it. Uh, <laughs> so it, uh, and of course, if you do that, you know, you, you lose it. You know, it, it's, it's like a muscle that has to be exercised. And I chose not to do it. And so you know, it's just like you slide, you know, dead things, uh, dead things just go downstream. You, alive things go upstream. Mm-hmm. And I was, I went downstream pretty fast. Uh, by the time I was in college, I considered myself an atheist, at least on a practical basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I found myself really uh, struggling spiritually and began looking for uh, other uh, ways of, uh, of sort of satisfying that inner longing Mm -hmm. and uh, um, probably went a little bit new age, but it was essentially the worship of whatever I wanted to worship. And if it uh, gave me, uh, if it, if it tried to challenge me, I would just give it up. And that, uh, that changed when I met Jesus, Uh, I was 23 years old. Uh, and I met him by reading John's gospel. I read it in one sitting and I thought Jesus was going to come out of the pages. Mm. Uh, you know, he was, it was, it was a hero story. I, it, I, it really engaged me. I read it. It took me two hours and, and I was never been the same. The gospel story, I knew this story was not just meaningful. I knew it was true. Wow. I want to unpack that. And the, the fact of uh, how is it that one comes to know that something is actually true, especially about the divine and the spiritual. Let's talk about his conversion then. Yeah. 
Um, so Lewis starts off, he's a young man. He's, uh, he's sent away to a boarding school by his father after something happens terrible in his life that alters his life. Uh, mm -hmm. So tell us, go ahead and unpack Lewis's story as we get into some of the, the, the clips that you actually talk about in the most reluctant convert. Yeah, the, I'm telling Lewis's conversion story. And it begins uh, roughly at the time of his mother's death to cancer when he was about nine years old. Mm. Uh, Lewis was uh, nominally Christian in the sense that uh, he was taken to church, you know, learned to say his prayers. But he, as he says, uh, didn't take much interest in it. Right. Uh, when his mother died, uh, when his mother was sick with cancer, he prayed for her recovery and found that prayer didn't work. So he said, I thought no more about it. Uh, so that gave him a very pessimistic view of life, that things don't work. Uh, he said he wasn't that he was unhappy, but he thought the universe itself was a rather regrettable institution. Mm -hmm. um, uh, then, you know, add to that, uh, he was raised by a single father who was a very uh, uh, emotional, uh, voluble type personality. Volatile. Uh, and volatile, yes. Uh, had, a, uh, had a huge vocabulary that uh, that just uh, scared his uh, his two sons, and uh, and that prompted him to you know just that strain that he never Lewis never really got over. Um, so those two things, you know, uh, the death of his mother, which was the anchor of his life, and then his father, and then I think the third thing that that happened was uh, at uh, at age nineteen. He, uh, he enlisted in the army and was sent, he was actually at 18 and he enlisted in the army and then uh, was sent to France on his 19th birthday. And uh, he was in the trenches and the butchery of World War I made him come to the conclusion either there's no God in the, uh, behind the universe or a God who's indifferent to good and evil or worse, an evil God. Mm. That seems to be the temptation, isn't it, brother? Um, it's not the belief that there is no God. That is problematic. But there is something worse than that. It's believing that he is malevolent. I think Lewis discussed that in his um, Grief Observed, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so then when he lost his mother, he had lost his childlike faith. But the faith itself was rooted in a pro-pragmatism, isn't it? Because you... But, Talk to us about the pragmatism of faith, that if it works, then God does what I want to, some kind of cosmic jackpot in the sky or a sugar daddy, if I may, that I do things for him and he gives me what I want. I pray, I Bible read, I, I follow my, the ethical laws of the universe, and God is obligated to give me what I want, including, as Lewis's case, his mother. But it didn't work. Yeah. Well, remember, he was a child, so his universe was rather small, but yes, he, he anticipated that... Uh, if he did the right things, good things would happen. And, uh, and, in, and I think in general, we all sort of uh, follow that idea to, to a degree as we live our daily life. You know, that's why we're careful about crossing the street and mm -hmm. you know, obeying uh, the uh, rules of the road. Uh, but, uh, 
but when he, when it came to it didn't work for him, he just dismissed it. And then, of course, in school, you know, he's a very smart kid, so he started asking questions, you know, uh, if the, that uh, uh, that all, you know, the, it seems like they were they were asked to study world religions, you know, in in school. Right. And he said all the teachers and book editors uh, took it for granted that religion was some sort of, quote, endemic nonsense into which humanity tended to blunder. Uh, with a, If there's a thousand false religions, ours is the thousands and thousand and first. Hmm. Uh, which uh, all other religions are false, but the thousand and first, our own, is completely true. And so he asked, well, on what grounds? <laughs> Right. <laughs> he says, if, if Adonis can be explained away, then why not Christ? And he, and he said, you know, I was eager to find my way out. In fact, he has a, a brilliant comment at some place. He said uh, he, uh, he uh, uh, abandoned his faith with, uh, with uh, glee, mm. uh, and, uh, it, and then he came back to it with... Uh, uh, with the reluctance and despair mm. uh, because he was, as he said, the most reluctant convert. But what guided him was not, you know, will it help me like a patent medicine, you know, right. a prescription medicine is, is it true? Uh, and, and he came to the conclusion reluctantly that he believed that you know that that Jesus either said who is who he said he is, or he's a liar. You know he he was, or he was deluded, or perhaps the his uh, followers exaggerated the story. He didn't really say all these things, right? Uh, but that didn't that just couldn't work because if you you know if you look at the if the recorded acts and the recorded sayings of Jesus, uh, on the one hand, you have moral teaching that is pure and, uh, and brilliant and is not really uh, uh, contradicted by anyone, even, even against even those who oppose Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have that on the one hand, pure uh, uh, moral teaching of the highest order, uh, of a lucid mind, and on the other hand, you have the the outrageous remarks that he makes about himself, like "Before Abraham was, I am." Well, let's let's hold on there. Yeah, but I would like to see how you build with Lewis's uh, conversion story mm -hmm. and, and how he becomes uh, that. So, in scene five, you have this. Yeah. Let's see if I can play it here, and, and um, we'll do it going so you can see it. And we'll build on that and see how you connect it together. Before God closed in on me, <laughs> I was in fact offered a moment of free choice. I was sitting on a bus going up Headington Hill thinking I was wearing a suit of armor, trying to keep something out. I could unbuckle the armor or keep it on. The choice felt momentous, 
I chose to unbuckle. It did not seem possible to do the opposite. The initiative did not lie with me. If Hamlet and Shakespeare could ever meet, it would have to be Shakespeare's doing. He could write himself into the play. What I called spirit began to show an alarming tendency to become personal. Into my mind crept a horrible novelty. I really believe something. And now that I had blundered into that, I knew I could play at philosophy no longer. It was time something should be done. The absolute had arrived, making a nuisance of itself, <laughs> issuing a command. All my acts and desires were to be brought in line with this absolute spirit that I now believed. For the first time, I examined myself with a serious practical purpose. What I found appalled me. Depth after depth of pride, self-admiration, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. Oh, my name is Legion. Oh, amiable agnostics, talk cheerfully of man's search for God. <laughs> May as well talk about the mouse's search for the cat. All I ever wanted was not to be interfered with, to call my soul my own. Keep out! Private, this is my business. Let no one talk glibly about the comforts of religion. Or is it a small thing to give yourself blindly to a guide who on his own showing may very well be leading you to poverty, ridicule, death, Oh, I knew I would not allow myself to do anything intolerably painful. I would be reasonable. Would it be reasonable? No assurance was offered. It was all or nothing. As the dry bones are shook in Ezekiel's dreadful valley, the absolute spirit began to stir and heave and throw off its grave clothes. He said, I am the Lord. I am that I am. I am. You must picture me alone in my room at Magdalen, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term 1929, I gave in 
and admitted that God is God, knelt and prayed perhaps that night, the most dejected, reluctant convert in all England. Okay, tell me if you can see this, uh, Max. I can. Hypocrisy and hypocrisy to blasphemy. Right. And the most fortunate thing happened. My father sent my brother to a tutor in... I'm not seeing anything. Can you see it? Uh, no, I can't yeah. see it. For some reason it's not popping up. All right, let me try this again. What, uh, what, what part are you looking at? Uh, scene five. Um, actually, scene, yeah, I think it's scene five when Lewis is uh, discussing his atheism. Let me get it up here. Uh, I think that's earlier. Is it? Let's see that up there. Just oh, religion was in four. Yeah. At 14, I ceased to be a Christian. That one? I think so. No, I think it's a little after that one. Let's try it here. So How about now? South London. No? In a surprisingly short time, this... This yeah. is uh, this is where he... Oh, I see where... Uh, go about uh, five minutes more. Right. That conversation lasted three minutes. Maybe Keep going. Here. Hold on. Watching. And set the tone for my two years. Hmm. Odd. Uh, can you actually see the picture? I'm not able to see it, but if you can. I can't see it either. No, you can't either. Okay. Let's try uh, some other avenue here. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was talking to Alex, um, uh, your uh, gentleman who does your, some of your cinematography. He was a very great guy, by the way. And he told me, just go ahead and do it from uh, Amazon Prime. I thought that would work uh, the best way. Try that. Again. Uh, step two. Let's put it back up here. Step one. Well, you can line it up afterwards if you like, and we can just talk about it. Right, right. That may be the best. That's ruthless dialectic was the only way he spent. Okay. It was an astonishing. No. Okay, it's not working. That's all right. Yeah, I think you're talking about, uh, yeah. Okay, that's all right. Let's, um, let's get it. That you should not want to be corrected. All right, what I'll do is I'll plug these in afterwards in our interview. I think it's sure. better. Sure. All right, so uh, Lewis starts talking about his atheism where he begins to actually doubt it. What is it? What are the foundational cracks in that? foundation that he finds after he begins to read uh his, his tutor begins to make him doubt it was it kirk or was it chesterton well kirk kirk actually reinforced his atheism okay. uh kirk was a was a dialectic logician that uh 
really taught Lewis how to think. Uh, and uh, he came to the conclusion that the, the horror of the uh, Christian uh, God is that it, uh, the Christian universe is that it has no door marked exit. Mm. That uh, behind, uh, behind the Christian God is, an, is a, uh, uh, a, uh, a, 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 a cosmic interferer. <laughs> right. And that no treaty with reality could ever be made with him. And all he ever wanted, all he ever wanted was some small area that he could say to all other beings, no admittance. He wanted to be his own God. Yes, he quoted it correctly there, yes. Yeah. Uh, no admittance. And so that kind of led him down the path. Uh, he actually dabbled in spiritualism and the occult. Mm -hmm. uh, did a, a Ouija board, seances, those sorts of things. Um, and that put him in a pretty dark emotional place. And uh, what got, out of, got him out of it was reading George MacDonald. Mm. Uh, and George MacDonald was a Christian fantasy writer in the 19th century. And, and many of his, uh, his fantasy novels are heavily influenced by George MacDonald. And MacDonald gave him a sense of goodness. Uh, that the the feeling of goodness, and that gave him a, a what he called the uh, hit the uh, sort of the argument from desire that if I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world could satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. My conversion shed new light on my search for joy. The overwhelming longings that emerged from fantasies and my brother's toy garden were merely signposts to what I really desired. They were not the thing itself. I concluded that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world could satisfy. The most probable explanation is I was made for another world. And so he, he felt something longing, some longing, some deep longing that was uh, taking him beyond himself. And he said, of course, that his, his uh, big mistake was he uh, he kept looking for these long, longings in all the wrong places. Uh, you know, if it was uh, cerebral, it would be for the desire for knowledge and wisdom. He said the sexual longing is most obviously false uh, mm -hmm. because uh, when the perfect lover appears, the closer you get to it, it just, uh, lust can be gratified. And the, the closer you get to the image, the image, the, the longing disappears. So, uh, he, he realized that we as humans were made for some desire that's not fully satisfied, that's not fully given in this world. So that there's a beauty there beyond the world that touches us deep into the inner crises of our soul. And, and that lit up in Lewis. That's, that's right. And, okay. and, he went, and he was longing for it. Right. Um, 
Yeah. And he built the argument from desire on that later. So then Lewis begins to go on there and he begins to read Chesterton. And Chesterton did something else for him. Um, he shocked well, them, by the way, that these men are Christians, right? Well, Chesterton was, he met Chesterton while he was convalescing in World War I. I think he was reading either an essay, a book of essays of Chesterton, uh, or perhaps he was reading Orthodoxy. I don't really know. He doesn't really say. He later did say that Everlasting Man was the best popular apologetic he'd ever read. Okay. Uh, and he used to recommend it uh, strongly uh, to uh, anyone that asks, and he built basically his broadcast talks, which became mere Christianity from Chesterton. Of course, his trilemma, uh, liar, lunatic, Lord, was directly from uh, borrowed from Chesterton. He made no bones about it. So basically, uh, Chesterton gave him the sort of the apologetic side, whereas uh, MacDonald gave him the the more uh, the more uh, 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 Imaginative side? The more imaginative uh, uh, fantasy side, yes. Okay. Uh, so the, he begins to read Chesterton, and then um, he, analyzing the works of Chesterton, he begins to see that this beauty um, alone is not enough. There's a logic to it. There's a truth to it. And, and that will yes. Okay. Yes, and then, of course, <clears throat> he, he, he mentions that, he, again, he liked, he liked him for his goodness. That's what he said. He said, not that it had anything to do with being good myself. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and he said that uh, his argument, uh, the, uh, the, the humor, you know, he didn't, uh, he liked the way, he liked, hum he loved Chesterton's humor, that uh, his humor was not jokes. It wasn't flippancy or putting other people down, the kind of coarse jokes that are very popular now. Right. Uh, but rather... His humor was the bloom of the argument. You know, as you follow a train of thought and you get to the end, it strikes you as so, uh, so real and so truthful that you laugh. Yeah, it's overwhelming, right? Yeah. So you have here in one of the scenes where you have Lewis saying, before God closed in on me, I was in fact offered a moment of free choice. I was sitting on a bus going to Huntington Hill thinking I was wearing a suit of armor trying to keep something out. I could unbuckle the armor to keep it on. The choice felt momentous. And then yes. he discusses how it's like Hamlet meeting Shakespeare or Shakespeare peeking his head into the wife of Hamlet. Uh, I love the imagery there, the artist, uh, the, art, the author coming into the story. Uh, unpack that for us. Well, uh, you know, there's uh, at the core of Lewis is that this world is not the only world. That we, there is a material world and then there is a supernatural world. And because there's a supernatural world, that world can intervene in this world, does intervene in this world, and that is the miraculous. There's no mira miraculous if there's, if there's not another world. Uh, the material world is self-contained, and that's the world that he believed in for, for so long. And then somebody like Barfield asked him, well, do you believe logic and reason brings forth indisputable truth? He says, yes. Do you think, are your... Uh, moral and aesthetics uh, thoughts valid and meaningful? He said, yes. He says, well, if this is true, then materialism has to be abandoned. Mm. Because where, because if, if materialism is true, our thoughts of truth, our thoughts of beauty are no more than atoms colliding in skulls and giving us this sort of psychic phosphorescence that does something to the, our neurons and uh, nervous system. 
uh, it's just reaction. It's not anything of, of real value other than what we decide to give it. And our deciding to give it is itself uh, uh, not rational. Uh, you know, so he, he really felt that, that, that rock bottom reality had to be intelligent. Uh, and he, you know, he talked about, you know, where does music come from? Where does mathematics come from? They're true. Uh, when you make a mistake, it's you that's wrong, not it. <laughs> so, um, so he, he had, he had to abandon his, his strict materialism, which he said, I've been, uh, you know, I've been defending for years and he accepted what would be called a kind of, of monistic, perhaps even Eastern uh, perspective of God. So Lewis is moving away from materialism toward a type of spiritualism or a, well, he a, it was a kind of a kind of a monism, monism. because he 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 would not. He he came to the conclusion is a kind of an idealism that he had. He came to the conclusion that rock bottom reality had to had to be uh, connected to something. What he said further up, further in something out there that rock bottom reality had to be intelligent. He said that was a shock, but he didn't, he didn't go so far. His skepticism will not allow him to, uh, to give this to God. You know, he wouldn't just go right to God. He gave it to the universe. So in other words, he gave the universe some sort of intelligence, which is a kind of, monistic idea that it has a purpose of some sort. Um, and in fact, in, in Lewis's mind, uh, this goes way down the road, at, but this will be after his conversion, uh, at least after his conversion to theism, uh, was that, you know, the, he said the only two religions that, that fit all the facts would be either Hinduism or Christianity. He just he came to those two, and primarily because they they uh, they marry the mythology, the initiation, the ritual, the dances, the the great worship of you know the uh, with the uh, the intellect and and uh, ethical uh, principles. So you have. Uh, in one sense, in a, in, a, in a more modern sense, you may have the Pentecostalism on one side and the high academics on the other side. He says the religion has to marry both. You have to have both. Interesting. So here's a quote from um, Lewis on pantheism, and then you know, I'll pack that one. We'll move over there as he slowly goes into his work on the incarnation. So Lewis says in Miracles that men are reluctant to pass over from the notion of an abstract and negative deity to a living God. I do not wonder. Herein lies the deepest taproot of pantheism and of the objection of traditional imagery. It was hated not at the bottom because it pictured him as a man, but because it pictured him as a king or even a warrior. The pantheist's God does nothing, demands nothing. And then he says this, the following. You had a shock like that before. It was interconnected in smaller matters, like a line that pulls at your hand when something breathes beside you in the darkness. So here, the shock comes at the precise moment 
when the thrill of life is communicated to us along with the clue that we have been following. It has always been shocking to meet life when we thought we were alone. Look out, we cry out, it's alive. <laughs> wow, he said, God has been hiding or tracking him. There's something, there's a warrior, it's not this mystical force. It's a person. Uh, so but That was a late development for him, and it was mostly his desire not to believe it. Mm. He wanted God to be out there, not in here. In fact, he said uh, in Surprised by Joy that, that when he came to belief in this sort of monistic absolute, he called it, he called it the absolute, uh, he said that, uh, you know, th this, was a, this was a religion that cost nothing. It wouldn't do anything. It wouldn't lead to dark places where men scream they've been dragged into hell. It was there. It would never come here and make a nuisance of itself. And then this... So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't ready. He, he, he was looking for any religion but Christianity because Christianity is the incarnation was the thing that scared Lewis to death, what you just, what you just read. The, the ultimate invasion into my life, into my privacy, into my being. Yes. He stands there and says, I am the Lord. I am that I am. And you quote that when he says, uh, you must picture me alone in Madeline, night after night, feeling whatever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him, whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. And then go ahead and unpack that when he finally realizes, here he is. He's real. Well, he was doing... What, what happened prior to that moment was yes, he was he was basically doing you know in the 12 step programs that people do they do moral inventories and and he was doing a moral inventory he he felt like that the god he believed in uh was present and was being demanding of him. And so he said he, he began to look at himself with a serious practical purpose and what he found appalled him. He found in himself a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. And he concluded by saying, my name is a legion. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so he he really he realized that he was a sinner and he needed grace but he didn't want to ask for it because he realized that by submitting the bent knee to God he was going to give up ownership of his life and that's the one thing he did not want to do wow and this is what it really means to submit or to give your life to another, yeah. either to a lover or to a business or to an entity. But we reluctantly do not want to give it to God because he demands everything. And he knew that. And Lewis knew that. Uh, whoever, must, whoever follows me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And he read that literally. And he didn't want to do it.
But he did. And then, but he did. He said, I gave in and admitted that God is God, knelt and prayed, perhaps the most reluctant, dejected, reluctant convert in all England. But then he didn't see the other side of it. He said, I did not see then the divine love who would accept a prodigal on such terms, kicking, struggling, resentful, yes. darting his eyes in every direction, looking for a chance to escape. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. Wow. Lewis then as all of us, we come to God because of a fear of hell, a fear of ourselves, a fear that we do not want it, but we don't want the other side. It's too dark, it's too dangerous, it's too gloomy, it's too eternal. But when we come to God, he is also not safe, as Lewis would talk about with Aslan. Can you unpack that one for us? Well, the, the idea of, of giving yourself over to a great lion is pretty daunting. Um, but then Lewis realized, I think as soon as, as he converted, that grace is like a power. It's a, it's a way of seeing. It's, it's a sixth sense that you now have a loving relationship with something greater than yourself. It's not because a God exists, it's because this God exists. Mm. And this God uh, wants to uh, go from something speculative, from you know, the, the, uh, the logic of speculation to the logic of a relationship, a re love relationship mm. of, of someone who can do very odd things. <laughs> <laughs> and can do and and is asking us to believe that he can do one odd thing more such as raise him from the dead wow and that's what gives me hope um, um max um, i lost my son a number of years ago and one of the things that gets me through through it all is knowing that the god i'm worshiping although he didn't come through for me so to speak it didn't pragmatically work when i prayed I do know that because he died and because he rose from the dead and there's historical evidence for that, I can trust his words that he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Well, that's the core of the Christian faith and it's unparalleled in any other religion. So Lewis begins to doubt himself. Later on, he begins to, he has a conversation or is that before that, when he has a conversation with Tolkien and he has that, that, that famous walk in Oxford where he tells him, how could I believe in these, this mystical God when there are a multiplicity of different gods that come and die and rise in and born of virgins, such as Dionysus, Balder, or Osiris. Why, why Jesus? Well, th that's very interesting because at, at that time in the 20s, uh, probably the, 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 one of the most influential uh, explanations for the rise of religion was uh, Fraser's The Golden Bough. Uh, which uh, relates uh, religion to the farm cycle, the, the, the rising and dying of seeds and the, and, uh, and the, uh, uh, the whole uh, worship of, for rain, etc. And, 
and then of course a lot of that came the from that came the uh, the myth of the of the die, dying and rising God, and there were many myths throughout uh, uh, various cultures that do that. And uh, Tolkien said that when somebody tells you this story in a myth, you're very moved by it. Mm-hmm. You know, it has power. It takes you to another place. It captures your imagination. It does something uh, mystical. Um, you have this sense of the numinous. He says, you, you do that everywhere except with the Gospels. <laughs> and because the Gospels become... Uh, primarily through our Sunday school associations with it as a kid, become uh, prosaic. Mm. Uh, It it becomes uh, a textbook, prescriptive. It's no longer uh, a story of a hero, a mystery. Uh, and And so what Tolkien wanted Lewis to do was to read the gospel in the same way he reads the other mythologies of dying and rising gods. And so what that allowed Lewis to do, it was kind of a breakthrough for Lewis to read the gospels anew and to examine the person of Jesus. And hence, he came to this liar, lunatic Lord uh, conclusion. Tell us about that. When, the, when he talks about when we cannot just accept Jesus as a great moral figure. So Lewis um, says something there that's impactful. Yeah. Well, if Jesus stayed, uh, the, the issue is, is that he looks at the claims of, uh, he first of all finds that what he says about himself are ridiculous. You know, I will come again to judge the world. Right. Uh, who says that? Uh, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, he goes, such things are, are, are said by lunatics. And then he goes on to express that there's no parallel in any world religions to Jesus. Uh, either because uh, not Buddha, not Mohammed, not Plato, not Moses, not one uh, ever claimed to be God. They claim to be religious teachers. And if you, if you ask them if they were God, they would laugh at you or, or in some cases do worse. So he recognized that no one ha- ever made that claim seriously. No, no mate, you know, that's been taken seriously in history ever made that claim except Jesus. And he goes on to say that uh, he can forgive sins and that he himself He's the injured party in every transgression that you do. So when you do something wrong, it's against him. Wow. And he goes, uh-huh. that's lunacy. And yet, and, yet, and yet his moral teaching is so pure and lucid and, and uh, uh, just wise beyond word. So he, he, he said, it's not computing. And, and so he came to the conclusion, it's all about the truth and reality of Jesus. If Jesus' statements are false, 
just dismiss Christianity as nothing. If it's true, it's everything. Mm. And, it, and what we try to do is try to find a little middle place. Not quite, you know, he wasn't, you know, we said, no, oh, the, the disciples made up the story. Right. Um, you know, they're trying to figure, because nobody has ever, uh, you know, even at that time, the, the uh, religious authorities, the Jewish religious authorities, never, uh, you know, never brought forth the body. They provided uh, explanations for why the body was not recovered. <laughs> right, right, right. Or, or made up some. So Lewis says something in his, um, uh, one of my favorites is The Weight of Glory, where he talks about it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And you quote that brilliantly. And um, I'm going to show a clip of that. Oh, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you meet may one day be a creature that if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror or a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that I should now conduct all my dealings. There are no ordinary people. I have never met a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as that of a gnat. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. The weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. At the close of the service, they read from the Book of Common Prayer, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Um, unpack that for us as we take our faith, and those of us who have embraced him, or in a more real way, he has embraced us. How do we yeah. now live that life by seeing the average person around us as being either something of a nightmare or something worth worshiping at one point. This is just so profound that Lewis talks about and that you articulate in the, uh, in the play, uh, The Most Reluctant Comment. Yeah, that's a, that's a very profound thought, and I'm so glad you want to end with it. Uh, he says in the beginning of Weight of Glory, it says, uh, our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with uh, 
drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy awaits us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. Wow. We are too easily pleased. Mm. So what Lewis is trying to unpack is what God has in store for us as followers of Christ to become like little Christs. And there's two ways we can go because uh, this, this life that we live in, this short period of time is a bit of a proving ground in a sense that, that every time we make a decision, uh, a part of us, a, the part of us that chooses changes just a little bit to becoming a more heavenly creature or a more hellish creature. So there's a, there's a continuum that goes on and on that if we, if we trust God and follow his and follow him, that we can become creatures of enormous worth and benefit, or we can become creatures that, uh, we might see in a nightmare mm. because uh, all day long we are helping each other to one or the other of these two destinations. We can go this way or we can go that way and we can help people go this way or that way. And that's what he said that now uh, that's what I've been called to do that. I want to, I want to live my life helping people, realize this and that's why i said there's no ordinary people and this is a great way to end it um max uh the work you're doing with the fellowship of performing arts is um i must say categorically helping the people around you become that glorious creature one little step one little play one little word at a time. May God bless you. May he magnify the work of your hands. May he bless you financially, psychologically, physically, spiritually. And I, I really thank you for what you're doing. And um, you are in my prayers. And uh, I'll do what I can personally to support you, um, to maximize that for you and your work. Thank you so very much.